G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC. So I'm always very grateful for both those groups. Now, if you don't know, this week is the fundraising week for CFRC, although there's no reason why you can't uh, donate some funds anytime during the year. But this is the particular big one that we do. And so if you would like to see CFRC and all the various programs that you've got used to listening to continue, then if you'd like to type in go funding for CFRC in the web in your web browser it should show up the web page that's required that will open up for you to be able to donate some funds to keep these things going i can't say enough how important it is for our grad students and postdocs to be able to get a chance to practice speaking to you about their research and other things that they do i hope you've been enjoying it over the years and i would like to you to continue enjoying it so we're all putting our hands up now and I'm dipping in our pockets and seeing what we can do to help raise some funds now if your mates miss the show at any time you can download the podcast the next day on either itunes google podcast and stitcher so no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing just type in a grad chat today though i'd like to introduce you to rebecca stroud stazel who is doing a phd in education under the supervision of Dr. Benjamin Kutzeruba. So welcome to Grad Chat, Rebecca. Thank you, Colette. It's great to be here. That's excellent. So your, I'm going to go right into it, I think. Your research topic is teacher acculturation in the context of sojourning overseas. That's right. Yes. And it was funny when I first read that research topic, I went, okay, I'm going to get the, have to get the dictionary out again. I think <laughs> I know what these words are. <laughs> I do use a lot of terms in my research that, well, they're purposefully chosen. They but are. Once I've read more of it, they are purposely chosen. <laughs> uh, would you like me to give a quick... Why not? Because a lot of the times when you read these titles, there's certain words where I, I always laugh and say, I'm going to have to get the dictionary out. But you can more often than not figure out what it actually means, even if you don't know those big don't usually use those big word bigger words so why not why what is the word acculturation and what do you mean sojourning overseas okay so acculturation is a more positive orientation of a term that i think everyone knows culture shock right so oberg's culture shock theory involved four stages euphoria which is the first stage the honeymoon stage the regression stage or rejection stage where people that is the stage that gives the term its name, culture shock. Right. And then Ampasang, the adjustment stage, and then Erhalang, the recovery stage. Since then, a fifth dimension has been added by other scholars called reverse culture shock. But a cult, but that's um, culture shock is a deficit orientation and acculturation, actually, partly thanks to Queen's own John Barry, who studied acculturation for a number of decades, has managed to use the culture shock theory, but put take a more positive orientation right. because it's not just the shock. It's no. not just the, uh, as Oberg called, uh, um, an occupational malady. I, I don't accept that, actually. Right. Right. But more, John Barry calls it a culture of stress. But acculturation also comes with positive benefits. So increased capacity, particularly with cultural competencies. Yes. Once you 
return or once you have acculturated. So acculturation is the process of managing all of the challenges involved with living in another culture. And so it's an embedded and embodied experience. And sojourner, well, I'm proposing that any teacher who goes overseas to teach becomes a sojourner. Right. A sojourner refers to someone who travels for an extended period of time, seeking meaning and truth, or someone who is a between society culture traveler. So someone who is essentially walking in two worlds. You have the culture that you arrive with and the culture that you are living in right. that okay. interplay between the two. Right. So, But sojourning implies that you are seeking to learn from that experience. And I would argue that teachers who go overseas to teach actually are looking for that learning experience. Well, you'd like to think so, because as you mentioned, it should be a two-way thing right. straight, straight off the bat. Yeah. I mean, you're giving, you're going to be learning, you're going to be teaching while you're over there, but at the same time, you should be seeing what's going on as well, what you can learn to bring back home right as well so it's actually it was a perfect research topic but I like I said I did have a bit of a chuckle <laughs> when I first read it because I know what you guys are like <laughs> but the, the play on words I think is really really good and I think also it gives you it tweaks your interest I mean that's what research is about too is is not just keeping it to yourself but tweaking other people's interests and figuring out okay so, so what, what are you doing Let, tell me a little bit more and just that title alone can make you think a little bit more about so what are you doing and which comes on to can you give me a bit of a an overview of what your research is so I am interested in learning how teachers manage when they go overseas in particular I'm interested in teachers who figure out how to thrive as they're overseas. Mm -hmm. Every uh, culture or every country that hires Canadian licensed teachers would have a different context culturally, and every international school, in fact, has a different organizational culture. Right. So my study is not seeking generalizable results because that is impossible. I don't really think you can operationalize this across the board, which is why I'm going qualitative instead of quantitative, because a lot of the past studies in acculturation have been quantitative in right. nature, mm -hmm. and they've re revealed rather inconsistent findings. Okay, right. Uh, and I think inconsistent findings would be expected, but I'm looking to, to interview approximately 15 teachers about their experiences. And my research questions have been designed to try and learn about how they approach thriving and what factors interplay with thriving when overseas. There is one more term that I feel I should mention because it is it's, the term is policyscape. And as the term implies, you've got policy and you've got scape, which is like if you think of a landscape. Right. So a policyscape is it's an environment where a number of different policies from different orientations come together in one. So like a pool of different policies, but those policies might actually be conflicting in their orientation. Like So you might have hierarchical a leadership conflicting with lateral leadership, for example. Right, right. So when I went overseas to teach, my first overseas teaching position was in Malaysia. I was dealing with, you know, the Malaysian policy world, which was informed by British colonialism, but also by other 
policy actors. Right. The owner of the school that I was at was Chinese. So there were policies that were absolutely foreign to me as a Canadian trained teacher. Right, right. And that can be very confusing. I actually ended up breaking the law within a month of my arrival and not even realizing <laughs> Excellent. it. Excellent. And Malaysia's not the kind of place you want to break the law. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's right. So before going into the, the, que- the actual questions that I've got for you, you actually helped me with the questions. <laughs> this opportunity for students or, or for people to teachers to go overseas and teach. There's a lot of people that go overseas to teach English, for instance, mm-hmm. and they're not actual, haven't been trained teachers. Correct. So I'm assuming you're talking about the trained teachers for starters, but yes. would it be interesting down the track to do it for those people who've had no training whatsoever. Yes. And would there be a difference between the way they teach and what they can provide the students at the new country compared to something, a different perspective as, as someone who went there who was actually a trained teacher? Yes, I actually think like this doctoral study that I'm engaged in is just the beginning. I in my head, have imagined 20 years of research <laughs> that can unfold Love after it. this study has taken place. And of course, it would be, I have a friend who went to Korea. He had a, a degree, but it wasn't in teaching. Right. And I think 20 years later, he's still teaching overseas, right. not in Korea. But I know that there are programs for people to teach English. And you're right, that's not what this particular study is. I've really refined it to Canadian licensed teachers who are teaching in an international school. The term international school is one that is debated, but in this instance, an international school is one uh, where the language instruction is in the English medium, but the the first language of the country is not. Okay, so it's an English-speaking school. But in a country where English isn't the primary language. Right. Okay. And that they would also have to have a number of teachers who are guests in the culture. Oh, okay. Some schools that call themselves international and they may have 90 local teachers and then one or two expatriate teachers. Okay. All right. And the kind of courses that they're teaching, I'm assuming it's not just English, it's all level all, all levels yes. and all varieties of teaching whether it be geography history those sorts of things that's so it's across right. the board yes okay that's right so a lot of the the schools that i'm interested in going into are schools that are kind of bridging schools the end goal for the students is most likely to gain admission to a university okay. in a westernized country okay seeing as i'm going to southeast asia a lot of students choose to go to australia and new zealand but some right. of them do come to canada the United States, the UK, right. etc. So they're trying to improve. It's interesting because one of your colleagues was looking at testing the exams. What do exams really teach uh-huh. these students and those that have got the English background can get a little bit higher in society just because of that, but they're actually only learning to pass an exam, not necessarily learning for learning's sake. Yes, Which, there's been a lot of discussion lot of around that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that, I found that fascinating. So you're coming from a different perspective, which is great. So you talked about this acculturation of sojourners. And as you said, it's those who live elsewhere temporarily. And you also mentioned that there's been a lot of studies over the years, but most are quantitative and exclude teacher acculturation. So what is so concerning to you and why do a qualitative study? Well, I think it's actually shocking that there are lack Stud- like very few studies on teacher acculturation 
for the fact that not only teachers must teachers learn how to acculturate in order to do their jobs, but their jobs involve supporting students some of whom are also acculturating. So they really need to be functioning at very high capacity in order to accommodate and support their students. And if they are stuck in a, you know, the shock phase of the culture shock, I don't know how efficacious they can be at that particular moment. So I think studies on teachers, also studies on school principals are lacking as well. And I think that we need to be looking because principals take the burden of the entire school population. So they're responsible for the teacher stakeholder group, but also the student stakeholder group. Right. And in fact, schools are there for the students. So they really have a lot of responsibility that they're shouldering. And I didn't find any studies on principles acculturating. So there's another chapter or another study for you. That's another study. (laughs) (laughs) So understanding, you'd like to think that, first of all, anyone going to a new country, first of all, when, when you're just visiting, it's one thing. You learn while you're there, you learn about, oh, this is how they live, da 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 And some of us will look up a book and go, what can I expect, etc. But even in, in school here, when we have students going overseas for research and things, there's meant to be some sort of cultural training. Right. Does that happen to these teachers that you're talking about? Do they get some sort of training prior to going to that particular country in what to expect culturally, but also what to expect within the school system? So it's really inconsistent the level of training that teachers get. Some faculties of education, and Queen's is one of them, has a course on international education, and that is a great leap in the right direction in terms of providing some training. But of course, every every school and every country is different. Mm-hmm. So I have taught in two different countries in Southeast Asia, and the, the school the first school that I went to, which was in Malaysia, they had a fairly good informal system of training and helping teach supporting teachers, where each new teacher was hooked up with three different teachers. And each of those one teacher supported me in a curricular fashion. One teacher was a young female teacher, just as I was. And she connected with me on a personal like, what's it like to be a young single woman living in Malaysia? Right. And one teacher connected with me to help me, introduced me to some friends and get me connected geographically and socially. Uh, So each new teacher could look to three different teachers right off the bat for help. And the principal and the principal's wife were very instrumental in supporting. So I would say that was an environment that was highly supportive Mm -hmm. of new teachers or of acculturating teachers. If you look at teacher attrition statistics, there are some schools that have attrition, which is early departure from, well, in this case, the school, there are no statistics as to whether international teachers who leave, leave the professional together, as there are in Canada and the okay. US. But in some schools, those attrition rates would be up to 70%. So wow. there are schools in which 70% of the teachers break their contracts and leave. And that's really devastating to programming and yes, teaching and learning. Absolutely. 
Wow, that's, that's really, really high. It's very high in some instances. The school I was at, most of the teachers not only fulfilled their contracts, but stayed beyond their contract for right. uh, one, two, or three years. And then there were some really long-term people, people who you know got married and decided to settle down there. So there's a big variety in terms of that. But when you look at attrition and the reasons for attrition, lack of support, inefficient or insufficient pay and... Being able to live comfortably while you're right. there. And uh, workload, right? So, and and culture. So, right. But surely, okay, I'm playing devil's advocate, I guess. But surely, you would have a, an understanding of what your workload, the expectations of your workload, before signing a contract. And and was it the case that it was it was said what it was, but it was actually more than that, or was it just never put in there? No one asked the question. I think that's a really good question, and I think it behooves teachers who want to go overseas to ask some really tough questions at the interview or even after the interview. When the job offer comes in, Mm -hmm. ask some really difficult questions and ask for the email or phone number or Skype, excuse me, contact of a couple of teachers who work at that school who can speak candidly without the principal hovering over to get some answers. Right. Because I think knowing what you're getting into, if it's really too much to handle, then one could say no. But if one thinks that one can handle the challenge, at least one is has more awareness yes. of what they're getting into. But there are little things. I know of one teacher, for example, who is a seasoned teacher and has taught in a number of different countries and presumably knows how to ask some of these questions, who ended up teaching on the sixth floor of a building and the nearest washroom was on the third floor. by stairs and no passing time or a very, you know, a couple of minutes passing time between classes, that turned out to be an inconvenience that was just too much. Yeah. You don't think of those things, do you? Where is the bathroom? Where's the closest bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) That's probably my first question. (laughs) I would never think to ask about the bathroom. No, you don't. You don't. Until you get there, then you go, oh, all right. Okay. All good questions. So you, you talked about how you had a very good experience in terms of there was three three other faculty that were given to to help you, other teachers to help you get acquainted to the lifestyle and everything. But what did you do here before going overseas? Did you go out and learn a little bit of the language you were going to? Not saying you have to be totally competent in it, but at least be able to say the usual please and thank yous and hellos and goodbyes. Did did you go out of your way a little bit to say, even though it's an English-speaking school, I should still learn a bit more about where I'm going. So you touch upon language, and I actually didn't start learning Malay until I got there, partly because the job was offered to me three months before I went, Okay. and uh, half of my teaching job was to teach law, and I've taken a bunch of law courses, but I actually didn't have the qualification. It's not on my Ontario College of Teachers certification. So I ended up reading the textbook in preparation, and that took a fair amount of time. But I think language is really important Mm -hmm. to pick pick up. It is important to communicate as best you can in the language of the host country. So that's that's a really good thing to keep in mind. But I did ask, I did start, I, I did sort of informal research asking people and asking people, 
who have been there or close by. I was given the contact information of two teachers, so I began okay, communicating I with them That's good. in advance. I did get a lot of negative naysaying before I took that position or before I left for that okay. position. And I'm really glad that I didn't listen to all of the negative advice, right. which ranged from just change your mind and don't even go to, you know, horror stories. Right. Because I actually, in retrospect, I believe that that decision to go to the first teaching position overseas is the single best professional decision I've made in my life. Right. Right. Yeah, well, you can't listen to everyone. You still, at the end of the day, you've got to make your own choice. Right. But a lot of people do say things because they're nervous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if we were all nervous about everything, we'd never go anywhere. <laughs> there were a few aphorisms that stuck in my head. Yeah. So one was, nothing is as good as it looks or as bad as it seems. And I took great refuge in that statement. Right. Yes. If I was on a really high high, I would remember that and just be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. And when I really was struggling, I would also That's a good tell point. myself that to soothe myself. Right, right. Oh. Well, you got through it, clearly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so much so that you wanted to do this study. So I guess, you know, as as country borders continue to thin and mobility becomes even more commonplace, what can we learn about the growth opportunities that Sojourning Overseas offers? So some research has, but this has been more on international students, mm -hmm. has concluded that people return to their host or they return to their home country with greater capacity, particularly in the area of cultural competencies. Right. Now, as a high school teacher in Canada and the U.S., cultural competencies is really on the radar. It's something that we realize that we need to have in order to be teaching an increasingly diverse right. uh, student population. Yes. And teachers return with, or sojourners, I should say, return with increased cultural competencies. So that is really important as globalization continues to wear thin the political borders between countries and it's mm -hmm. easier to move. You know, I have no idea where my children are going to work, but I would expect that it would be more than just Canada. I right. mean, it's just that's the way things are going. Right. And so I think those growth opportunities should be explored and not just in one study. I think many studies can help inform our understanding of cultural competencies of working laterally in an increasingly complex work environment. So I know you're going twice over to Kuala Lumpur yep. to do your studies. What kind of questions are you going to ask these 15 teachers? So, and I'm flying into Kuala Lumpur, but I found two schools. One is in Kuala Lumpur and one is in another Malaysian city. I'm going to be asking them eight research questions. One of them is going to be asking them just to reflect upon their first few months living in this country as a sojourner and what they can tell me about their experiences with acculturation. Right. One of the questions is attempting to link that particular teacher's identity, their own identity or their their composite of identities with their acculturation experiences. The literature on acculturation thus far does strongly link personal identity with okay. the sojourning experience. And there is a theory that's fairly generally supported that the less the culture distance between two countries 
the easier it is and the greater. I mean, it does make sense. So I'm going to be asking teachers to tell me about their identities and how they link to their acculturation experiences. I'm doing a narrative inquiry, so I'm going to be asking them to tell me stories. So tell me a story that made you realize that you were experiencing some type of culture shock. Right. Okay. And I also am interested in how acculturation is linked with the whole embodied experience. So not just your professional life, but your personal life too. Right. And your sense of well-being. Right. And another thing that the literature suggests about acculturating teachers and also, or sorry, about sojourners who work overseas, but also literature on early career teachers suggests that leadership plays a huge role in success or lack of success. So their leadership or the like the principles? Well, actually, I'm going to be asking them both. I'm going to be asking them about leadership in general, but also self-leadership. Okay. So self-leadership is a collection of strategies that you use to make decisions to help you to thrive. So it could be reflection, journaling, it could be getting involved with a passion overseas, but it could be a number of strategies, but I will be asking them about their own self-leadership strategies as well. Really good questions for them. So is there an expectation in your results that... (coughs) you got some preconceived idea of what the results are going to be or you're going to be pleasantly surprised that those that are working overseas now is different say from when you went overseas because I mean you'd have a you'd have your own ideas from your own experience right now this is I don't know how many years later but it is a few years later right so you know the experience could be totally different to even though you said like 70% break their contract. And I'm not going to schools that have high attrition rates either. Okay. I'm, I'm going to schools that have pretty good retention rates. And that is in part because I'm looking for those stories of thriving. I believe that stories of thriving amidst challenges can be helpful to inform the wider international school community okay. about how it can look. But, you know, even though I'm hoping to find these wonderful, inspirational stories of thriving, I also am cognizant that things now are not the same as they were when I was there. And also, every individual is different. Correct. And so I'm trying to not really expect too much in one way or another so that the data can just unfold organically. Right. But I am seeking to collect data that speaks to a variety of ways in which people make meaning for themselves and and to approach different ways of knowing and understanding. So not only will I be interviewing them, but I'll be giving them journals and hoping that they actually write in their journals on a regular basis. Right. Going to be asking them to take pictures and collect artifacts and also participate in a focus group. So it's really different what you can the insights that you can reach if you're in community with a group of people talking absolutely and when you're journaling or taking pictures it'd be interesting though because in a way the research that you're trying to do when you're talking about journaling and reflecting their experience is going to be changed again because of your interaction yes Uh, they may not have thought about journaling or reflecting and things they might have just gone over there and go, i'm going to fill my contract do what i need to do and then come home but the fact that you're asking them these questions could potentially it'd be interesting if you give them 
them some sort of little sheet to say, what are you feeling right now? Yes. And then at the end of their contract, say, after you've had your interactions and everything, was that experience the same as what you thought it was going to be since then? Right. To see see those differences, if it had changed at all. That would be interesting. I think uh, there is, of course, the risk, you know, giving them homework to do, and they also already have mm-hmm. a job that takes up a fair amount of their time. I guess time will tell right. how diligent they are in actually doing doing the journals. I journaled when I was in Malaysia and also when I was in China. Right. And I found that to be the time spent was time very well spent because I learned about myself as I was doing it. Right, right. So I hope that these processes, even though I'm giving them work to do, I hope that those processes will actually benefit them right. in helping or facilitating their self-reflection and um, maybe even triggering some, some new ways at self-leadership. But, you know, So apart from helping those particular educators, Mm -hmm. are you hoping to be able to put something together like some sort of training process that you can give to whether it's those schools that are inviting international educators to them or the body here in Canada that helps place educators in international schools? Are you hoping to come up with something there that you can that they could use? Yes, I am hoping that the the findings will be amenable to programmatic change in Canada. So, you know, enhanced pre-service training, but definitely professional development, Mm -hmm. ongoing professional development, and perhaps teacher induction and mentoring programs that international uh, schools use. Uh, The variety of teacher induction and mentoring programs and professional development really varies. And that would of course, depend on motivation of other schools, but I am hoping that the findings will lead to possibilities that can then enhance teacher capacity on a much larger scale than just the 15 teachers in this study. Because I'd like to think that with the the young students who are learning to be teachers here at Queen's, there's something within their programming and then the Canadian group that helps place. There'll be, so there'll be a programming when you're learning first up, then when you're thinking going overseas, that, that group would do it. And then the last part is the actual institution you're going to. Right. So it would be a three-phase thing of climatizing them to the, didn't even use the word culturization, did I? Um, but that's good. Acclimatizing them to where they're going and the environment they're, they're going to be working in. Yes. And you mentioned the places that host the areas where teachers are hired. So, uh, and Queen's has the uh, Teacher Overseas Recruiting Fair. And they right. do a pretty good job of helping teachers discover aspects of themselves that's good before they go there's lots of great tips i go to the teacher overseas recruiting fair every year and i listen to i go to the workshops and i listen right. and i speak to recruiters and there's already a lot of great stuff that's happening to help teachers right. get a when good you're start on the ground isn't it when you're on the ground it's totally different you get off mm-hmm. that plane you go oh that's right <laughs> i'm here <laughs> Help. <laughs> I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think we all need to go through it. <laughs> so, 
I think part of the other thing that we're doing here, you know, this internationalisation, I think it's very important that everyone does go overseas in different capacities, whether oh, you're yes. being a teacher or whatever, just to see how everyone else lives and, and understand, make, get some understanding of what's going on around the place and how we fit into the big picture, etc. I really think the best gift a person can give themselves is to spend time with people who think differently. Mm-hmm. Exactly. One more question before we finish, and I, the, the 15 that you've chosen, do you mind if I ask what the age range is in terms of age, not in terms of their physical age, but where they are in their teaching? Are they new teachers or are they teachers who have been in the profession for a while and then going overseas just to do something different for a little bit or the end of their career? Have you chosen a particular group? Because I, once again, the perspective that each of those groups would give would be very, very different. And if you're only looking at 15, that That's could really right. change some of your findings. That's right. And I may not even end up with 15 or there may be too many that come forward and then I am in the position of making a selection. So if 30 come forward, uh, respond to the call. I've sent right. out the call, but I just sent it out last week. So okay. now I'm, I haven't am i have uh, done the selection yet. But let's say that there is an opportunity to do a selection. I would like to uh, see a, a cross-section okay. of teachers across the experience spectrum because I think their insights, the way they answer these questions and the other data points, I think would be very informative Mm -hmm. to this study if we hear from teachers who are brand new teachers a couple years teachers you know 10 or 15 years and teachers there are teachers who retire from their jobs here in Canada and then go overseas to teach for another five years or so so I think it would be richer if there is a greater diversity and not just in age but in other demographic factors as well that's true now I know why you say this is going to be a long project It is big. <laughs> it is big, but it, it's important. It is important. I'm glad you're doing it. I envy you going overseas, but you know, we're going to have to call it quits, as okay. I say each week. So I do thank you very much for coming on the show, Rebecca. Have a great time in uh, Malaysia when you go over there. Um, thank you very much. I hope you get the, the results that you're looking for to be able to put together a really good thesis. And I'll be, it'd be interesting to, for everyone here to read it. So I really appreciate that. Oh. So thank you. Trima Kasse. That's Malay. For, and that's thank you. Oh, well, there we go. See, I've learned a new word. It's Trima, two words. Trima Casse. Trima Casse. There you go. See, I learn something every day. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast, or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. And don't forget, this is our fundraising week. So if you type in gofunding.ca for CFRC, and if you've got a bit of spare cash you'd like to help donate to continue CFRC going on for many, many more years to come, that would be appreciated. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.
This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.